talk to each other. A boy and a dog can be happy sitting down in the woods on a log, but a dog knows his boy can go wrong. I didn't bring you down here so they could use you. I brought you down here so I could use you. Well, welcome back, everybody, to Take Me to Your Reader, discussing adapted science fiction at its best and worst. I'm Seth. I'm James. And I'm Colin. And this time we come to the heartwarming tale of a boy and his dog as they enjoy life in an, an idyllic Phoenix, Arizona in 2024. Yes. Grassy fields. Beautiful made-up women. Beautiful made-up women. Yes. Um, and men. Marching bands. And a movie theater. And a movie theater. Definitely a movie theater. Yes. No, in fact, this time we decided that uh, due to Harlan Ellison's turn of ill health that he'd had recently, that we would do a selection of one of his stories that had been adapted into a film. And the only one we had on the queue was A Boy and His Dog, which is not an idyllic story. Not a nice story, really, in any way. It did, however, win the Nebula Award. And it's from 1969. I think that's right. And was adapted into kind of a cult classic 1975 film. That won the Hugo Award. So... Normally at this point we say, spoiler alert, and if you haven't read this, then go read it and watch the movie, and uh, you might want to just listen to this whole thing, though, before you uh, choose to go read this, because what was the warning in the, in the book we read, Colin? Yeah, so we have a copy of, uh, uh, we have a copy of Miller, and, Miller and Greenberg's Beyond Armageddon, which is an anthology of uh, post-apocalyptic literature, and they say here, in here, uh, warning, parental guidance is suggested for children younger than 40. Ladies are admitted free, <laughs> but whether they can get out alive again is a question. Yeah, so definitely not a kid's story. And we we also had um, an ebook I think, that came out from Noise Trade Books or maybe... Sci-Fi Cult Movies? Bub or something. It was, yeah. It was either free or really cheap. I think it was free. And it had a blurb about it basically saying that the title kind of suggests this pastoral setting and it, it suggests Rin Tin Tin and Lassie and Old Yeller and that kind of stuff but the conclusion was the Ellison Jones A Boy and His Dog is a violent, sexy, sometimes vulgar black comedy far removed from Kitty Fair. So definitely um, don't get this one and watch it with your kids. Ever. New. No. Don't read it with them either. They just lured you in with that title. Yeah, I mean it's, <laughs> it's a little strange and so I listened to the commentary on the, on the film and, well, you know what? You want to get there? We'll, we'll get back to that. Okay. So let's, let's cover the basics of the story. Yes. Go for it. So there have been four world wars. It's an alternative history. Uh, and, and there's a, a boy named Vic, and he has a dog named Blood. And Blood is telepathic. So, uh, and Blood uh, is actually kind of Vic's educator and mentor and uh, almost moral compass in several situations. It'd be worth mentioning that Vic is 15. 15. He's Which, just a kid. In the post-apocalypse, that's middle-aged, probably. Probably. True. Uh, and they are solos, which means they don't belong to a gang. And I always had the picture from the story that they were in an urban environment, <laughs> just because of the presence of the movie theater. Yeah. But uh, it's a wasteland. But it, it's a wasteland, yeah. So, you know, their, their job is to find food and survive. And Vic and Blood have this uh, symbiotic relationship where uh, Vic wants sex, and so Blood finds them telepathically these people, these girls, and then Vic rapes them, and then in return for that, uh, Vic hunts for food for blood, because uh, when the dogs are made telepathic, they lost the ability to forage for themselves. Right. 
Yeah, isn't and, that a wonderful story? And you know, my, my kids asked me what we do on the podcast, and I got to that point of telling them about the plot, and they looked at me right. with this, with that look, like, "What in the world are you doing, Dad?" Yeah. Well, my perspective on this is that uh, in covering this, we we might convince people not to read the story or watch the movie, or you know, who knows? But we're we're doing a public service. We took one for the team here. Yeah. <laughs> and you did try to talk me out of it. I did. I mean, I had suggested some cockamamie idea of covering the Terminator as an adaptation of Harlan Ellison, which maybe at some point we'll do. Yeah. But this was easy. I mean, we talked about it before. It was kind of an odd travel month, and you had traveled quite a bit at the end of last month. Yeah. And then James was gone most of this month, and so we needed to do something that was a story and a movie, and this was pretty easy to do because right. basically we we watched the movie on Friday night. We were recording this on a Sunday. James read the story yesterday. Mm -hmm. So so did it take you all day or just half of the day? Just most of the day. Just most of the day. Right. Had to darken story. I was going to say, how much alcohol? <laughs> <laughs> At least two, if not six. <laughs> right. uh, so Vic and Blood are watching a movie at the movie theater and uh, Blood yeah. tells Vic that he smells a woman dressed up like a solo and since Vic hasn't had sex in a while, he wants to go find her and rape her. So they follow her out. And they trace her to a, a YMCA. Um, and they uh, he's about bum, to do the bum, thing. Bum, bum, bum. <laughs> They're about I'm to do the dirty. That. And uh, there's uh, they get alerted to the presence of a gang by blood. And so there's a big apocalyptic gun battle. And they kill some of the people and decide they can't kill them all. And they run out of bullets or, or guns the or Rover something. The Rover gang and, sets fire to the place. Uh, they set, no, no, fire, they to set the fire to the place. Oh, that's right. They go downstairs in the basement to this great big boiler. And they hide inside the boiler so you know it's fireproof mm -hmm. and light it on fire. And then uh, the girl seduces Vic, which right. didn't take much seducing. And no. then Blood does yeah, this kind yeah. of lovely commentary in the background about, <laughs> oh, come on, you're telling me you're doing this again. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to continue to pretend to be asleep. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Because he's, Vic, or sorry, Blood is wounded in the fracas. Right. 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 Mm -hmm. Uh, so the next day they wake up and uh, the girl, whose name is Quilla June, ends up clocking Vic, knocking him out and, and escaping, running away. Mm -hmm. But she leaves behind a small metal card. Mm -hmm. And the card is the entrance to one of these undergrounds. Now, the undergrounds are areas that have kind of survived the apocalypse. They're you know buried underground. Um, and people escape from the underground sometime to see what life on top is like. Um, so Vic wants to get even with her for hitting him, so she he follows her down into the underground, which is near Topeka, Kansas, I think. Well, they call it Topeka, they Kansas. Call it that Topeka, doesn't mean but... it's near Topeka. Right. That's true. Could be near Arizona for all we know. Yeah, true. Uh, and inside there, he finds what looks like suburban America from the 1960s. Mm -hmm. um, and he's like astounded at how boring it is. Mm -hmm. He gets captured by a robot and learns that Quilla June had seduced him to come down here because uh, their men can no longer procreate. And so right. they have to get fresh blood from upstairs. Not fresh blood the dog, but you know, virile <laughs> men from yes. the apocalypse. Uh, to which he thinks is just great. Yeah. So he spends a week convincing them that he's, he's up and up. And uh, it comes time to start fulfilling his requirements. And he says, well, the first thing I want to do is go... I want Quilla in a sexual way. And I want to smack her upside the head like she did me just to get even with her. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he's a, he's a real... Uh, somebody you can root for, right? Yes. Oh, yeah, totally. Yeah, smooth talker. Mm -hmm. Has a way with women. Yes. Dick the dick. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. So they take her. They take them to uh, Quilla's house, and Quilla apparently has fallen in love with him because mm -hmm. she's going to escape with him. Uh, they end up. She ends up shooting at least her dad, maybe her mom. Right. They escape out of the... No, she was going to shoot her mom, but he uh, 
flicked her upside the head. For wasting he bullets. For wasting bullets, yeah. yeah. Uh, they escape up to the top, and then they're, there they find Blood. Now, Blood had decided to wait for Vic, and he tried to talk him out of going into the underground from the very beginning. And um, But he, he's dying. He needs to eat. Mm-hmm. And uh, Quilla is trying to say, well, he's just a dog. Leave him there. Let's get yeah. out of here. Yeah, don't you know what love is? Don't you know what love is? And so Vic thinks about it for a second, and then he decides he understands what love is. Uh, love is the way a boy loves his dog. So he kills Quilla, cooks her up, feeds blood, and they live happily ever after. Right. Love is making the ultimate sacrifice, and that's what she did. <laughs> yeah, voluntarily. <laughs> yes, it's a beautiful story. Really beautiful. Touching. Um, in the head. Is there any mention in the story, Jim, since you've read it more recently than I have, of the over the hill thing? You know, I was thinking about that earlier, and uh, I don't believe there was. Yeah, I, I didn't recall it. There is just an, another city. Right. Right. Um, that's, that's one of the, one difference, I guess, between the story and the movie mm-hmm. was that. Um, and then, of course, they both diverged at the underground yeah. quite a bit. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's the same essential story but the it's it's artistically very different right so with some crazy marching band yeah that makes no absolutely no sense <laughs> uh, I, I think it does when you and we'll we'll break that down a little bit as we get to it yeah okay but yeah this it's one of those things where it's a it's a very strange story it's very twisted mm-hmm. which makes sense if you've read any ellison at all and i know colin you have read a little bit yeah um i read Deathbird Stories, which was a collection of pretty messed up stories, and I've also read I Have No Mouth and I Must Scream, which is thoroughly messed up. Yes. Well, he did write this at a weird time in... I don't know if it was a weird time in his life, but a weird time in American history anyway. 1969, right? Yeah. Right. Right uh, after the Kent uh, College shootings. Right. Right? Yeah. And it, I guess he was sort of rebelling against the whole idea of America, because the Down Under is this very idyllic 1950s, 1960s. No, 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 pre-1920s. Oh, was it? Yeah, that's oh. what they say in, uh, in the book. The Golden They're, Age right. or something. They're talking about you know setting up this society that's pre-1920s. It's before the scientists took over, basically. Right. And, and messed up the whole world, right? Yeah. right? And you can kind of understand their perspective there, but the way right. Vic sees it is this terrible kind of confining thing, and the only mm-hmm. redeeming factor is he gets to nail a bunch of women. Yeah. So, which he doesn't really get to do in either yeah. either version. No. In fact, he concludes, you know, no, what was it? No wonder the guys can't get it up." Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> there's no fun in this town. There's no, yeah. There's no, no fun. No, you know, no rise. Right. Yeah. No. So, I mean, this is exhilarating. This is the kind of story where we read it, and you're kind of like, "Who am I supposed to root for here?" It's, I mean, it's a quality twist. I was so. rooting for blood. He's yeah. awesome. And it, well, but I mean, he hunts up women for <laughs> for his master to rape. I mean, it's yeah. it's really hard to root for Vic, but Quilla June is. But not I mean, exactly if, you, if you're looking from his perspective, he's a dog. Does he care? You watch two dogs on the street doing it, you don't care. Yeah, I know, but but <laughs> the the whole point is that he's got advanced intelligence oh, and and true. telepathy and stuff. You'd think that he would be a little more enlightened as well. Well, the dog is enlightened. He's been teaching Vic uh, history, and yet he's still okay procuring targets for Vic. It's survival, man. It, it doesn't have a lot of morality, is what I'm saying. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. Um, but how, how much morality do you lose upon survival, though? True. Yeah. I mean, and so it's an interesting story, and, and so I don't necessarily recommend it for all audiences, but it's it it does have a great twist, which we've, of course, completely given away. Yeah. But <laughs> it's, Touché. I guess, <laughs> worth reading-ish. Yeah. So, you know, um, I watched a Q&A session on YouTube with, uh, with, El- with Harlan Ellison, it was supposed to be about a boy and his dog, which I was really excited about. But it was really very rambling. Um, I think it was very Ellison-like because yeah. it reminded me of the way that he wrote, which I kind of liked. You know, mm-hmm. I, I think mm-hmm. that people should 
their writing should reflect their speaking voice, mm-hmm. so you know how they're going to say things. Sure. Um, and there right. were there were two quotes that stuck with me from that. One is was uh, that uh, that Vic was as bad or as nasty as a Drano cocktail, <laughs> and the the other <laughs> nice. one was um, having to do with this reversal of fortune, where the beasts are society and what used to be our society are beasts. So if you look at the the rovers and the solos above ground, mm-hmm. they're fairly beastly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And more so in the movie, I think, than in the underground, the people down there are kind of beastly as well, right? Their job is to, you know, steal guys to breed their women. That's true. Yeah. Um, right. and, and the movie makes that even worse. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Right. And while, whereas Vic is like, or Blood is like, you know, this is what history is like, and, you know, you shouldn't do this. She's just luring you. She's seducing you. You shouldn't do this. Right. Right. Yeah. Vic knows what's up. Yeah. Um, of or course, Blood knows what's I, up. I'm sorry. Blood knows what's up. Yeah. But even when they're at the YMCA, before they decide to burn the place down, Blood is very calculating and says, you just give her up and, mm-hmm. and we'll, be, we'll be able to walk away. Yeah. But Vic doesn't want to because he's all horny. Yeah. And, right. Well, I think there's another a part to it because if he was just horny he probably could have done his deed and gotten away right but i think he, he was also he in, infatuated he was and yes, he, he right. experienced some remorse right he he hesitated when when it came to it you know he mm-hmm. he tackled her when she had like her dress over her head so she was completely vulnerable right um and threatened to shoot her if she if she ran off but then found he couldn't do it couldn't go through with it right and so i'm not sure how far that goes to redeeming him i mean colin loves a good redemption story tm well, he eventually shoots her to feed her to his dog. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> right? Uh, but I think at that point... I don't he think was... he ever loved, loved her at all. No, not really. Oh, you don't? Right. No. No, I think it was an, an infatuation at best. Uh, right. I think, I think when it came yeah. to it, he found that... It, like, the... like, so it, it kind of goes into my points of, about this book, too. Is that It shows kind of multiple sides of love, I suppose. What you could think is love versus what actually is love. Yes, sure. An infatuation isn't love. It's just an infatuation. Yeah. And that's what I think he had. And it, it 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 doesn't come out to the end when, like, oh, I love you. Come away with me, Vic. Leave you no know, blood behind. He's murdered or, you know, practically dead. Yeah. And the Vic's like, oh, I know what love is. And then, you know, feeds her to the dog. Right. Yeah. So I was kind of casting about for analysis of, of the book. And I didn't find a lot about really what he's saying in here. But I had a couple ideas. And one is that... Harlan Ellison's marriage history is is pretty sordid. I mean, he I think he had one oh, marriage really? that lasted four <laughs> months. Well, or maybe maybe that one was four years, and he called it four years of hell. But mm-hmm. he, I think he had one marriage that lasted less than a year, and I'm sure I'm pretty sure he was married at least three times. And so I started looking at it and going, well, is there a metaphor in here for the the surface life kind of represented singlehood and bachelorhood and the swinging mm-hmm. lifestyle, you know, and sure. the down under rec- or kind of um, represented marriage and and what he saw as maybe confinement and hearkening to an earlier more innocent time and it was boring as all get out. It. yeah right um so i thought that might be one possibility or maybe just sort of a look at the difference between city life and suburban life that would be a little more obvious i think right city life's more attractive but more rough at the same time yeah it exposes you to more things yeah but... where you, you basically have to neuter yourself in order to right to move <laughs> to the suburbs i don't know it's safer but less exciting yeah yeah, so I, I mean, I think really it's just him kind of rebelling against those earlier sort of, maybe saying that it never really was the golden age. Yeah, yeah. I, I was looking for a quote in the book and I found it. Um, they listened to oompa, oompa bands in a shell in the park. They played hopscotch and pussy in the corner. They polished fire engines. They sat on benches reading and it just goes on and on and on and on. 
Um, they walked hand in hand with some of the ugliest chicks I've ever seen, and they <laughs> bored the ass off me. <laughs> okay, well, inside of a week, I was ready to scream. So, I mean, he's definitely confined by, by the very idea of of being in the down under. Yeah, but he's willing right. to stay down there, and I know. I guess he kind of always meant to get away. Right? Yeah, he wanted to brain right. Quilla Jones, get mm-hmm. what he thought he was doing, and then escape. Right. But well, when he sees her, he changes his mind. She wants to go with him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's kind of a slave to his impulses, which, 15. I mean, the single guy, or men in general. But, yeah, the, the the one kind of thing that he does when the chips are down, he loves the dog. Yeah. Well, the dog is the one person that's never betrayed him. Right. Never threatened him, never betrayed him. They take care of each other. Mm-hmm. Whereas right. Quilla wants him to abandon that, and that's a threat. Yeah, so, summing up. Uh, what do we think of the story? I wonder what it was up against for the Nebula in 1969. <laughs> like none of the other stuff was better than this. I mean, it's an interesting vision, and it's certainly not necessarily an unrealistic vision of what could happen post-apocalypse. No, right. But and who doesn't love a telepathic dog? Telepathic dogs are cool. I like the cat from outer space. Yes. Um, <laughs> so that one's a little more uh, uplifting. Yeah. Really? So that's about it, huh? Yeah. I mean, did you like the story? I thought the story wasn't, wasn't bad. Um, I liked it better than the movie. <laughs> really? Okay. Yeah, actually. And I didn't think the movie was as bad as it could have been compared to the story. True. It could have been rougher. Yeah. And that's Definitely what we been will rougher. talk about next. Movie. Movie. Um, All right. I want to start with a little bit of trivia about the movie that Ellison was originally going to write the screenplay. And he had a hard time getting it adapted because people kept wanting to adapt it for some reason. And like you were hmm. saying, Colin, some major studios wanted yeah, to Universal adapt it. Yeah, Universal and uh, Warner Brothers both wanted to adapt it. But they wanted to take maybe a more comedic approach to it. Maybe. Where the lips of the dog yeah. were supposed to move as he spoke. And, and Ellison was right. adamant, you know, that's not 8 o'clock oh. in the morning. I was right there with him when I read that. I was like, right. yeah, of course. I'm mucking <laughs> with your story. Why would you want this? Why would a telepathic dog need to move his lips to begin with? That's exactly. stupid. Well, then he's not telepathic. He's just a, a speaking animal. Oh, yeah. Which so, is dumb. Yeah. Ellison, uh, L.Q. Jones, who is kind of a veteran actor, plays a lot of bad guys, mm-hmm. has, has that very sort of, I don't know, I, I described him as lizard-like. He has that face that just, I mean, it looks like a bad guy. So he ended up adapting it because Harlan Ellison got terrible writer's block. And so it took like five years to adapt it really? because, because Ellison was trying to write a screenplay for it and just, just ran huh. up against it and couldn't do it. Yeah, that's random. And so, as, as L.Q. Jones said on the commentary, his last threat was, well, then I'm going to have to write it. And that's what <laughs> ended up happening. Yeah. So, Well, and Ellison had seen some of the movies from his production company, uh, like Evil, Evil Bridesmaids of Satan and a couple of others. And, but I, I think the selling point was, yeah, you, know, you can have a telepathic dog. Mm-hmm. Think, think about the you know, viewer right. special effects budget. So there's a, a lot of similarities between the two. It's one of the more faithful adaptations we've ever seen. Right. I, I would yeah. I would argue that the beginning is probably spot on for the most part. Yeah, there's a lot of the, the, the first half straight from it. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, in fact, that was one of the things Jones says yeah. um, uh, in that book, Cult Sci-Fi Hits, was mm-hmm. that, yeah, the, the dialogue was lifted almost right from it because yeah. it has this, this nice banter to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we talked about how in The Thing from Another World, how... Lines weren't delivered one right. by one. They talk over one another, and conversations yeah, was, happen at the same cool. time. And yeah, I mean, they talk like, uh, you know, like a couple of brothers. Yeah, mm-hmm. I'm gonna. Kick yeah, they're you. squabbling <laughs> like siblings. Yeah, yes. totally. Um, we should mention uh, Don Johnson, a pretty young Don Johnson, plays yes. Vic in the film. Right. He plays him a little older. I think you're supposed to infer like that he's eighteen, eighteen, yeah, maybe twenty. Yeah. Um, still, I think if you do the math on the years they're talking about, he he was like eighteen. 
That's right, because it talked about yeah. the year he was born, mm-hmm. but I, I can't remember what it was. No. Um, but it's 2024. I think it was 2034 in the, in the book, book you said. Yeah. And, and like you mentioned, Colin, it's after two world wars. Right. And I like the opening crawl in the movie. Wait, what's, after, oh. what's after two world wars? <laughs> I'm sorry, after two additional world wars. Yes, so, there you go. Okay. Yeah. It was written after so, two world wars. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, the, the opening of it is actually different. Um, the, the DVD that we watched, it shows a bunch of nuclear explosions. And right. That, that was right. evidently added in like 1982. From what oh, I really? Understand. Yeah. Oh, interesting. But then there's this opening crawl that says World War Four lasted mm-hmm. five days. Right. And Just then, long enough for everybody to nuke each other. Yeah. And it says yeah. the politicians had finally learned how to solve urban blight or found a solution <laughs> to urban blight, <laughs> which is, that's that's one of the differences between the film and the book, is the book, I'm sorry, the film almost goes over to black comedy. Mm-hmm. Yes. So, yeah, that's that's an interesting way to take it. And and that is, I think, one of the main influences on why the Down Under is different, but we'll, okay. we'll get back to that. Right. The story doesn't really, uh, it just kind of, Starts, right? It just kind of starts and starts going. But the book, I mean, not the book, the movie, you have the blow explosions, yeah. the black comedy intro. You don't mm-hmm. get that from the, the book, really. No, you don't. And then, Though, I think one of the strengths of the movie is that it doesn't go overboard in explaining stuff. It mentions no, the, the five-day right. war. Yeah. But it doesn't really explain where they are, I don't think, yeah. even. Yeah. And it doesn't explain uh, Blood's history, which they kind of did in the short story. Right. Um, but yeah, so one of the major differences in the beginning was this this uh, concept of over the hill, where there is paradise, right. where you where food grows on trees and yeah, <laughs> food grows right out. I of would the say um, yeah. so instead of just labeling it over the hill, um, calling it hope. There was a sense of hope in yeah. the movie, and they were the they were driven by hope that they were going to make it somewhere better, and you never had that hope in the in the story though. Yeah, and blood right. was the major drive there, right? Vic wanted to stay and get laid. Mm-hmm. Blood said, "Hey, f- let's get some food and then get over the hill right. and, and not do this anymore." Yeah. That's right. the feeling I had. Yeah. So evidently, the film was done mostly on location um, outside of Barstow, California, mm-hmm. which it definitely nice. looks like outside yep, of Barstow. Looks like Barstow. Through there last year. <laughs> um, they they took a bunch of junk from nearby junkyards, so they emptied out like five junkyards in order oh, to, really? to just put it all through the kind of desert. <laughs> to represent this barren wasteland. Wow. Nice. That's crazy. <laughs> um, the dog, Colin, you mentioned. Yeah, the dog is played by Tiger, who was the dog from the Brady Bunch. Yeah. And, and uh, didn't you say he got an award for this? Yeah, and I can't remember what the... Yeah, let me look uh, that up. That's funny, because didn't they call him Tiger in the movie somewhere? There was one the time where he slips and calls yeah. him Tiger. Although you can't tell at that right. point if it's a nickname. But that's, that's his what real I'm name saying. is Tiger. It's kind of like, you know, uh, way to go, Tiger. You know, yes. something like that. Just uh, off the cuff. Not really. And you, I don't think if you had known it was his name, you might not even think it was a slip. I never. It didn't seem like that. a slip to me. I mean, but I didn't know his name was Tiger in real life either. Yeah, it, I it's like it was the like prototypical a, uh, thing from Star Wars, right? Right. Where Luke calls Carrie. <laughs> Or how, you know, he's always calling Vic Albert to make fun of him. Well, he calls him Albert, and that's also from the story, (laughs) because there was a famous writer of uh, dog stories, Lad, a dog, uh, from the 50s, and it was Albert Albert Payson Terhune. So again, you know, kind of knocking or ragging on these idyllic, Mm -hmm. you know, Lassie, come home, Mm -hmm. blood, find me a girl to rape. Yeah. Right. Yeah. A little, little strange there. Yeah, I can't, boy. I can't find what the award was that that the dog won, but he did win some. It, it kind of the equivalent to a, um, an Oscar for a dog. Yeah. For for animal oh. actors, but nice. and the dog is terrific. I mean, if 
there's a few times in there. So I now have watched the film three times because I watched it once before I saw it with you guys and then also watched it with the commentary. And there's a few places where Vic is really giving it to him and wagging his hands at him and the dog does not flinch. And he, he never looks for a trainer. Nice. He always he's focused on, on Don Johnson. Yeah. And yeah, he, he's very effective. Well, and also the times where he's ignoring him. Yeah. Look, I'm not looking mm-hmm. at you. You're not there. <laughs> yeah. Well, or even like in the movie theater when he's sitting there and there's popcorn all around him. And the dog doesn't... He doesn't go, like, doesn't right go for, for it. it. Yeah. 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 Because he knows, right? An mm-hmm. intelligent dog would know that if I eat that popcorn, we're going to get in trouble. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's a... There's but he a really wanted the popcorn. From the movie theater that I liked. Um, so, you know, you have to boil down a short story of this size to make a movie that's only 90 minutes long. Sure. Uh, but there are a lot of throwbacks to the to the short story that I liked. And one of which was, he ends up paying the guy with a can of beets. Right. And mm-hmm. he lies and says that it's got something else in it. Peaches. It's, it's peaches. peaches. Mm-hmm. And that's because... Um, Blood has taught Vic how to read, and Vic hates beets. And in the book, it tells you, it's a, yeah, it's a good yeah. thing he taught me how to read, so I almost got some beets once. And so, right. <laughs> nice. Yeah. That was um, a nice nod. Total throwback. The, uh, yeah. the guard there who, who takes the payment yes. is Tim McIntyre, the guy who did the voice for Blood. No way. Yeah. I, I looked it up because <laughs> nice. I know that guy, and he's been in a lot of stuff. Like He was in Gunsmoke and Bonanza. And, um, but the other, another kind of little bit of trivia about Tim McIntyre, he also composed a bunch of the music for the film, and sang the song at the end. Yeah. So, I knew he sang the song at the end. Is at the beginning of the podcast. Yeah. You heard it. Is that where it's going to be? I'm going to put it there. Yeah. Okay. I we haven't heard it yet. <laughs> it's like magic. Right. Yes. Whoa, future. We were talking about the differences, right? Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Down Under is definitely different, and Quilla is a little bit different. Right. Actually, substantially different. Yeah. Really. So they end up dropping the character of the characters of Quilla's parents. Yes. And they're replaced with the committee. The committee. Dumbass. Yeah. And it's it's much more, it's it's not an idyllic place. Wasn't uh, Quilla's dad still there or something, though? It did It did seem like Jason Robards was her dad. But just the way he, she treated him and he treated her, it seemed like that. But, yeah, I'm not sure if, if Jason Robards was right. It wasn't. To be I guess it wasn't blatantly obvious. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I, so I didn't get that feeling. A, another main difference, of, of course, you know, Blood warns Vic, don't go down there. They're going to catch you and they're going to kill you. Because mm-hmm. sometimes solos go down there, rovers go down there and rape their women. And so it's not going to go well for you. And he's greeted, as soon as he gets down there, by this big green robot kind of thing, right? In the story. Yeah. In the story of the robot. Yes. And that's called Michael. Right. In the movie, it's Michael. Yeah. In, oh, is it also, is it both? Yeah. Mm. It's called Michael. No, 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 no. In the in the movie, he's Michael. Okay, I didn't remember it having a name. In the story, in the story, I don't think it has a name. It's just a green box with arms. Yeah, and and you know, Vic Vic is very profane when, once they've caught him, and he's mm-hmm. he tells them where 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 they can. He tells them to go blow sand. Yeah, pretty much, and and they keep <laughs> threatening to hurt him if he doesn't cooperate. Right. And so eventually he does, and it's it's very strange in the film. There's really no scene of him getting caught. It just moves from him climbing down through all the pipes and ladders and stuff. No, he got caught when he was sneaking around in the bushes. Did he? Yeah, he was, he was kind of sneaking around trying to watch what was going on. And then in the I, movie? Yeah, in the movie. I didn't I didn't. And then out of nowhere, Michael jumps up from behind him, oh, so does he? catches okay. him off guard. And I, it was so abrupt that I didn't even notice yeah. that somebody... And I watched it three times, <laughs> so... <laughs> But but yeah, they're they're washing him, and Michael right. Michael is pushing him under the water with this big stupid grin on his face. Yeah, <laughs> um, worth mentioning also that all the people in the down under wear this gaudy, weird white makeup with rosy yeah. cheeks. It's like they're it painted, weird. painted like uh, Raggedy Ann. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they've got like you know, there's outlines for the white makeup, mm-hmm. and I was trying to figure out what in the world would the purpose of that be. 
Um, and I think it's just to make them more clownish. Yeah. Well, and it's 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 kind of red, white, and blue makeup almost. Mm. Mm, kind of. I mean, because no they get blue. down there and they're playing Stars and Stripes Forever, right? And right. three cheers for the red, white, and blue. And and there's a, some kind of weird picnic going on and there's a barbershop quartet. And it's it's this weird mismatch of of images of America. Yeah. And but but it's this totalitarian thing, right? This run by the committee, everything is very very tightly controlled. Right. Because one of the first things that we see Jason Robards do is sentence someone to the farm. He says, uh, yes, because to because, the farm, because of some, it it sounds like a very slight offense. That's right. What is the phrase? Disrespectful, right? Uh, crude, <laughs> something else, and then yeah, sentence farm farm farm. farm. Yeah. So let's talk about Aquila June. Aquila June. She is different in the film. She's much more ambitious. Mm -hmm. And it becomes very, very clear that she is using Vic. Now, she was also mm -hmm. used by the committee. And you see that in the film where you see these three sets of feet where they're, they're kind of assessing Vic as he, right. he, 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 he does a raid on another group right right the gang that has all the food and he steals the food yeah and so they're, they're like yeah he'll do put out the cheese and quilla june is the cheese and yeah. probably content warning we should we should mention that quilla june gets quite naked and it's i mean it's kind of in shadows and from an angle and stuff so it's not as blatant as it could be but it's there's definitely nudity in the film and so therefore not a kid's movie and the thing i was gonna right. was gonna mention was <clears throat> The MPAA was originally going to give it a PG because it was a vast kind of gulf between PG and R back then because there was no PG-13. And L.Q. Jones was like, no, 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 you, we cannot get a PG for this because it sounds like a kid's movie title. And so, you know, he yelled at him for a while and they gave it the R. But even so, you know, he saw a lady with her kids come into one of the showings and he went in there and said, I, I don't think you want to be seeing this with your kids. And she's like, ah, it'll be fine. And afterwards... He he followed up with her, I think, like a week later, and all the kids remembered was the dog, and and they were playing a game that they called Blood Says. <laughs> so th wow. that was that was the only That's image. You know, like the nudity didn't stand out to them. The people getting their necks snapped by Michael late in the movie. Nothing, nothing, nothing good, stuck good with them, them except the dog. Yeah, we, we should point out that's how you go to the farm. You're not sent to the farm to do hard labor. Labor. You become meal for the farm. Yeah, right. Grist for the mill. Yeah. So crazy. anyhow, yeah, the the cheese is Quilla June. She is being used by the committee in order to lure Vic in, and so his right. kind of his impulses draw him in, right? Right. And then she has that that line when when they're down there. I, I didn't bring you down here so they could use you. I brought you down here so I could use you because she wants to overthrow the committee. She wants to become. She wants to right. be on the committee. Yeah. In fact, she it's kind of implied that she volunteered so that they would mm -hmm. put her on the committee voluntarily, right. and they turn her down, and then she decides to go right, and get Yeah, Vic. they were supposed yeah. to put her on the committee, or she thought they were going to put her on the committee anyway. Yeah. 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 yeah, and so she's all pissed off that they don't, and right. so she sets up to overthrow them, of course. And yep. one of the other differences is when Vic finally realizes what they want him for. They want him for a stud, right? Yes. And and it's it's a good... Don Johnson does a good job in the movie, and and I like you know when he starts cracking up and I'm like yeah well you want me to knock up your broads you know, line them up you first honey you know um, and of course that isn't what they want they they just want the elixir yes, and so they right. hook them up to the big extraction machine 
and Oy. and there's ladies lining up outside to marry him all right. one at a time. I did, I did not get that part. I didn't get why they had to be. No, in they're there. not going to marry him. They're going to marry, I think, another male in the community. It's just the the male the men are all infertile, so they're gonna they're still going to have these nice families. It's just they're all going to have Vic's kids. But why were they marrying him in the same room as he was getting elixirized? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Mil- milked. Yeah, I expected them <laughs> to have one of those you know guns for inseminating cows or something. Yeah, that uh, was that was bizarre. Uh, the, the reason they did that is so that Quilla June could come in with her bouquet uh, with a crowbar in it and hit the right, priest. Right. So they were kind of setting it up. <laughs> yeah. Fair uh, enough. On the commentary, uh, LQ Jones said that they were filming this part on a military base, oh, and fair. so they and they used like seven hundred extras for the film. Oh my gosh! And a lot of it was just women on the base who still had their wedding dresses. And so they all brought oh, them over hilarious. and lined up. And so that, that, that scene where they're all in the hallway and there's 35 of them, it's, it's all just volunteers. Wow. No yeah. kidding. So, I mean, Hey, how would you like to be budget, an extra right? in this movie? Sure. Yeah, why not? Yeah, I probably would say yes. What's too. it about? It's a science fiction morality tale about the post-apocalyptic years and moralities of societies and how they change. Yeah. Ooh, that sounds deep. Yeah, right. you're going to be in line to get inseminated. Oh, okay. Sounds good. <laughs> yeah, well, I guess, you know, so instead of Quilla June wanting to leave with Vic... In the end, she you know she's willing to kill her parents to do it, right. and be posed provocatively mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. her father wants to rape her too. Um, in the story, in the story, yeah. Uh, yeah she has a bizarre. bunch of friends, and they're going to use Vic to kill the committee so they can take it over. And then she ends up leaving with him because they're being chased out now instead mm-hmm. of escaping. And right, yeah. yeah. And then there's like the major difference, and it's it's the classic one. If you know anything about the movie and the book, you probably have heard about this. It's the very last line of the movie. Yes. <laughs> the last line of the book is, and I'm, I'm going to take a second here and flip to it. Well, they, they come out to the surface and they find blood, and blood's in really my, bad shape. My two favorite quotes in that movie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we had to move slow because blood was still limping. It took a long time before I stopped hearing her calling in my head, asking me, asking me, do you know what love is? Sure I know. A boy loves his dog. Right. <laughs> and so the ending in the movie... He doesn't use that exact line because, you know, it's in the guy's head, right? Mm-hmm. And so I understand why he changed it. And they kind of went with that black comedy. Yes. And he says something, you know, what, why'd you have to choose me to get all bubbly over, you know? Yes. And Blood says, she had marvelous judgment, if not particularly good taste. Yeah. And then he cracks up at his own joke. Um, that was an awesome line. Though. <laughs> so, I mean, kind of the highlights of the film to me are... I like the performances of the leads, right? I yeah. like Don Johnson. He played really well with the dog, and that can't be easy. And the dog is really good. And then the voice performance from Tim McIntyre was is really good. Yeah. yeah. And I like, you know, the arguments and stuff they got into. And, of course, our favorite line is, you know, when he's, he's in the YMCA, he has attacked Quilla, and then Blood comes in to let him know, there's a, there's a rover pack up there about to take us out. Well, what should we do? Pull, Pull up, up your, your pants, pants Romeo. Romeo. I guess it wasn't their difference, too, is that in the movie, or in the book, they burned the place, and then the movie had had the big green monster, or whatever that was. Right, yeah. And is there any reference to that in the story? Yeah. You remember the Screamers? Yeah. So, yeah, there's there's some sort of, like, radioactive zombies. Yeah, they, they reference them as, yeah, radioactive zombies, basically. Yeah, if they but they, but in passing, in the story, right? They don't really get used, Yeah, I suppose. Yeah, and so he uses that to distract them, kind of mm-hmm. like Obi-Wan Kenobi. Right. Scaring off the sand troopers or sand uh, sand people. Sand people. Sand people. Sand Tusken people. Raiders. Scare easy. So another another interesting trivia thing from the commentary in that scene where they're first trying to convince Vic in the in the down under to 
help them out with their problem. Sure. Jason Robards is kind of walking around and he walks through this kitchen area and picks up a sandwich. And evidently that sandwich was totally moldy and he didn't notice it until he'd taken a bite of it. But he yeah. did not break character. He just went with it. Oh, wow. <laughs> so I'm like, that's, that's impressive. That's acting. Yeah. Oh, and the um, uh, LQ Jones's favorite thing that Jason Robards did was there's that kind of bizarre scene where they set up the committee out in the park. Yes. You know, and they're passing sentence on Quilla June and all her co-conspirators and, you know, what say you? I, I, farm. And um, immediately. When, yeah. And Vic starts shooting Michael and he finally goes down and you realize that he's a machine. Right. And Jason Robard says, uh, have him get another Michael out of the factory and see if the engineering department can wipe that smile off his face. <laughs> yes. And right. that, that was improvised, that part of it, the wipe the smile off his face. And oh, really? after, after the take, he came over to L.Q. Jones like, I'm sorry about that. And, and L.Q. Jones is like, I could have kissed him. I thought it was a great line. <laughs> yeah. So, like I said, one, one of my things that I liked about the film was the fact that it doesn't waste a bunch of time explaining things. It does stuff by implication. Even at the beginning, when the dog is talking to Vic, it never tells you explicitly that the dog is talking to Vic. Right. You have to infer that. And I think, was, did Emily, she actually asked about it while we were watching it, right? Is that the dog? I think so. Yeah. Um, and I like the. Then it also doesn't take anything about explaining how blood got his powers. Mm. It's, it's kind of obliquely referenced mm -hmm. um, because uh, blood says to Vic, "You you forget my infallibility," and and we kind of get a little argument <laughs> about that, but not very detailed. And he likes popcorn. Well, of course, he likes popcorn. It's worth mentioning. This is kind of a cool movie poster. It is a pretty rad movie poster, actually. Yeah. I mean, it's it's kind of, uh, it could be similar to the floating heads thing, but at least it's artistically done. Yeah, I mean, it's it's actually art rather than right. a photo Photoshop project that's really lousy. Right. Yeah. Uh, the movie was not commercially successful. I tried to find statistics on the budget versus the money it made. Mm -hmm. I, I can't imagine the budget was that high. Yeah. Which means it d really didn't do well in the theaters. But it's stuck around for, what, 40 years now? And there are a lot of movies that haven't. Yeah, and listening to the commentary, it sounded like they toured around with it and played it almost constantly for 20 years. Wow. And uh, in Europe and in the United States. so And it was evidently pretty well received. Hmm. And I think it just got a Blu-ray release so just a couple years ago. There has been some talk about a remake. Yeah, I saw that on IMDb. There's a schedule for a 2015 remake. Yeah, well, <laughs> believe it when we see it. Yeah. So we'll put a couple of things in the show notes that are just kind of like Q&As with Harlan Ellison or other analysis of, of the film and the book because it, it is controversial, right? It's, it's seen as very misogynistic, which you could pretty much, you could make that argument. Yeah, the girl gets eaten in the end. The girls yeah, right. are to be raped. But on the other hand, in the movie, the girl is very ambitious and, and she is kind of driving, if you think about it, she drives most of the plot. So... True, hmm. but but then then it's kind of you could also see that as misogynistic because it's painting a, a bad picture of women as being you know ambitious and and using their feminine wiles. Like this is what way. happens when you get ambitious and you get eaten by the dog. <laughs> you know, there's there's a Chelsea Handler quote which which I think is applicable to this, uh, and I'm I'm probably not going to quote you right, so please forgive me. But it was uh, anything a man can do, a woman has the opportunity to do, and will do it better. And so if she's going to be a villain, mm -hmm. let her be a better villain. Yeah. And she kind of is, right? Mm -hmm. 
She didn't taste better. Apparently. Yeah. <laughs> well, blood would know. And she had the opportunity to taste better. <laughs> okay, so one of the strange things, though, is, right, and, and you mentioned it when we were watching the film, if blood's so hungry, they've come across several dead bodies, some of them created by Vic, some of them not created by Vic. Oh, yeah. But right. if, if we were going to go the eating leftover humans route, why didn't we do that earlier, if it was that urgent? Yeah. Well, it wasn't that urgent earlier. It was urgent yeah, then, right? They had to get going. Right, so they couldn't go back in the city, and mm-hmm. they couldn't go back in the city because of the rover gang that Vic stole food from had taken over the entire city, so that right. was no longer an option. So they couldn't go there. Yeah, they, they had, had to, to go over the hills. Forward, and there was not, no food going forward except Quilla. Right. Yeah. Well, although, you know, the, rec- the, the recent Walking Dead episode could have just taken a leg. It's true. They had a Quilla Disa. The man's yeah. got to eat. Okay. Yep. Quilla Dia. Quilla Disa better. The Quilla Disa. Yes. <laughs> Nice. I like it. Uh, anything else to talk about about this? I mean, we're pretty brief today. It's a short movie. It's it a is. short novella. Yeah. Well, this will leave us a little extra time to talk about what we're going to do next time. Sure. So any any final thoughts on A Boy and His Dog? The movie? James? Yeah. yeah. Mm, no. Okay. Well, uh, how about we rank them then? Okay. And we always do that. Uh, James, you want to go first? Story movie. Okay. Colin? Movie story. I go movie story too, just just for the the black humor and the performances Fair of the, of the leads. Yeah, I was I was so I'm a I'm a I'm a Christian, and you could probably say that I'm a prude pretty easily. Uh, I was really <laughs> offended by the language in the in the story. And the language is a lot worse in the story than in the movie. Yeah, uh, although after I heard the Q and A with Harlan Ellison, I think it's rather in a character. <laughs> so you know, yeah. you know that's just Tim. That's the way he decides to do stuff, and I guess that's his choice. But it's not what I would prefer to read. Sure. Um, I like the fact that you know the the movie is is cohesive as a as a piece of itself. It's not a badly made movie. No, and um, it's a, to me, I think it's a pretty good adaptation. It's not slavishly faithful, but I mean, because it make it makes some choices in order to make it more compelling visually that are different. But I don't mind that kind of thing. Yeah, I, I totally don't get the decision for everyone to wear makeup. Aside from that, you're supposed to know, right? This is comedic. And these people are stupid. Yeah. Okay, but I thought I thought the story mentioned that the people down there did have caked on makeup because they were pale. And so it was kind of the opposite, but I don't remember that. But I could they, be wrong. they were just pale because they were underground, right? Right. Yeah, it's it's well, a weird twist on the city of Ember. I feel like I should defend myself. Why I like the book better now? Yeah. Why did <laughs> why why did you like the book better? You, you don't reckon, have to defend yourself. You just, you, <laughs> yeah, this is interesting because you watched right. the movie first and then read the book. Right. Um, I felt more connected to the characters in the story. Yeah, you don't really have to defend yourself. Yeah, I'm just saying. And yeah. I liked I liked the way they did the underground part in the story better than they did the underground part in the it's bizarre in the, in the movie yeah i thought it was just it was way too freaking random for me yeah it made I mean, absolutely no sense there's so much <laughs> going on in every scene that in, mm-hmm. in the down under that i i think you would either like it or not like it and right. i, I kind of dug it for some reason because there's like the marching band going and mm-hmm. the and the barbershop quartet in a different yeah. key and, and i think in the story um ellison did a better job of expressing and maybe it's just just reading something versus watching something but it expressed the infatuation that uh vic had with quilla sure and kind of in the end that differentiation between infatuation and actual love sure and i do like the ending of the story better in the book Mm -hmm. i like the the book story better yeah i do like the one-liners from the movie though 
<laughs> yeah, and, and so that's why Pull your pants up, Romeo. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I, I just reread the introduction to the story where they, he goes down under, and there's no mention about the appearance of the people having makeup. Okay. Just they were pale yeah. because they were underground. Right. I right. think this happens, right? You 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 read back into a story what you see in a movie. Could be. So even I'm wrong sometimes. Yeah. So that's one thing the story does. The story makes it very clear that things down below are not good. Things up above are not good. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so it's which not good you you. Like the lesser of two evils. Yeah, yeah. I I thought it was interesting. I was mentioning that there's several things going on at once mm-hmm. in the down under, and there's always this something going on. Um, PA over, system. Over the PA system, yeah. right? At some point, it's you know just <laughs> another tip for living from the committee. Yes. And at some point, it's talking about making some kind of some kind of skillet hash. Right. <laughs> yes. like, and a rhubarb pie. Yeah. Yeah. That was random. Very very strange. Vic and Blood, the cookbook. <laughs> so to serve Quilla. <laughs> Both the story and the movie are messed up, obviously. Oh yeah, right. So it's kind of a which one you like better is it's the lesser personal, evils, personal right? choice. <laughs> it is hard to recommend though, mm. either, right? Because they're both pretty explicit, right? They are, and I mean, it's definitely adult content. Yeah, it's yeah. not. It's, I didn't think it was particularly tough to read or watch either at either. One, so, so. I, well, I the, have a, the language was mill spec, right? Yeah, true story. <laughs> so I have a rule of thumb for determining if something is appropriate or not. Uh-huh. If if you could go to a large populated place, mm-hmm. a restaurant, movie theater, and see it there, uh, no, and just <laughs> okay. you know pick pick three or four paragraphs and read them out loud, and think about the reception you would get. Aside from being a guy in a weird place reading a book, I mean. <laughs> If you think that people are going to look at you like, you know, what in the world are you reading? Right. That's one thing. If people look at you because you're the weird, you're the weird guy reading something, that's something else. Yeah. I think that would depend on what restaurant you go to. <laughs> <laughs> we are in Portland. Right. Yeah. 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 Um, so, James, while you were in Poland, uh, Colin and I went for a bit of walking and running. Mm-hmm. And uh, I had I had kind of convinced him, just go ahead and read the story and let me know what you think, you know. And he said, like, first thing out of his mouth, it's porn. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I, I was wondering if you had a, like an actual definition for it, or if it's like the uh, congressional committee. I know it when I see it, kind of thing. Uh, you know, so you have objectification of women, uh, dis- description of sexual stuff. Mm-hmm. It's, it's pretty explicit. Uh, you know, the movie is described pretty frequently. Uh, he's yeah. uh, he doesn't ever talk about Quilla as a person. That goes more to the objectification of yeah, women. Yeah. He's like, you know, she has great boobs. Right. Right? Without using that language. Yes. Yeah, definitely. Just in terms of content warning, at least uh, one one of three pavement pounders calls it some variety of porn. Yes. <laughs> one of three pavement pounders who's the most prudish. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I'm, I don't exactly uh, seek out films because they've got gratuitous nudity in them. Um, right. I understand that sometimes that happens and it can move the story forward, but... See, unfortunately, that tends to diminish the plot of the whole movie. It does, yeah. And I think, and we we were talking, or at least I mentioned this when we were watching. I'm like, they could have made this movie PG-13, but mm-hmm. if you're going to have a character that's going around raping people, there's not that much you can do to soften that, <laughs> um, and you and you wouldn't want to. And so, so I kind of approve of it being right. R. I don't think it necessarily needed the nudity in it, and maybe that's they had to have that in there in order to get the R. I don't know. I mean, because there were no there were no f bombs in it, which I think it was less common in the 70s. Yeah, to have movies filled with with them, like, but you know, nineteen sixty nine, the story is absolutely wall to wall. So yeah, and not a lot of violence. I mean, there's a couple of gun battles and a, a couple couple heads getting twisted off. Yeah, 
Yeah. But you know, they, they could have they could have done that very differently. Yeah, it right? could have been much more graphic. Yeah. So So they, they could have made it a PG movie where yeah, things right. were discussed. And I think that would have been the wrong thing though. Yeah. The wrong way to go. So And I don't know how you would readapt this one. I, I don't know how the the movie would be palatable today in any way. What do you mean? And just just Wait, the, the, the character going around trying to rape people. Oh, you right. know, I I think I think it's it would be probably be harder hmm. to sell a movie like that today. The whole anti-hero thing. It's more than anti-hero. I mean, he's committing evil acts. So, yeah, and we'll right. we'll see. Maybe if it gets remade. We'll but in, in the mo- arguably it. in the movie, he never actually committed any evil acts. Right, and and <laughs> Quilla was trying to seduce him. Yeah. Uh, as opposed to the story where they actually go into his background a little bit. Yeah. You know? yeah. yeah. I don't I don't think it really gets him off the hook for his intent. So <laughs> Yeah. True. Um, I think you can argue the movie was influential. Uh because Mad Max had a very, very similar kind of design to it. Except he isn't going around raping people. True. No, but in terms of visually. Yeah, and and Mad Max was much more successful than this film was. Yeah, and right. you know spawned several sequels and a reboot that's happening this year, I think, or next year. I think so. Mad Max. I didn't really care for any of them. Uh, <laughs> I, I, right. I, what do you have against post-apocalyptic yeah, genres, Seth? I can't remember if I've seen The Road Warrior or Mad Max, but you know everything's all sped up like it was in Death Race Two Thousand. Yeah. So, <laughs> I think I've, I think I've had enough of a cult classic. Uh, <laughs> movies. Well, maybe for our next set of movies, we should do something <laughs> more uplifting, more uplifting, yeah. more more uh, classic, classic. There we go. Maybe well, maybe something old. There we go. Yeah. So, on that subject, glad you brought that up, Colin. Thank you. Uh, we had <laughs> talked about how because because we were going to do the Harlan Ellison kind of tribute thing, and we're not sure what to say about the movie, but good job getting the award for it uh, for for the book Yay. and the movie. Um, but I was, we were going to slot this in in the place of my selection, which was going to be Invasion of the Body Snatchers. But since right. you know all the travel and that kind of stuff, we weren't going to be able to read an entire book and watch four movies. So we're just going to kick my selection down the road a little bit. Well, I am no longer satisfied calling this my selection. <laughs> so I'm going to say <laughs> next month is December, and the episode will probably be posted around the New Year, Christmas. And so... My suggestion was, and I have talked to you guys about it, that we do A Christmas Carol by Charles Dickens, which will be the oldest story that we've used. Yes. Because it's from the 1840s. So when I told my wife we were going to do this, she said, is that sci-fi? And so I I feel the need to justify this a little bit. Go for it. It's a ghost story. Yeah. And ghost stories are supernatural, and supernatural falls into the sci-fi genre. Yes. It's paranormal. Paranormal. Yeah. And there's some element of time travel to it, right? It's like the cross between Doctor Who and Christmas. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean it, it is. I mean it's not really Without time travel, but it's. I mean by the by the same token, you could say it's a wonderful life of science fiction. Yes, because it's also paranormal and kind of has alternate history in there, mm-hmm. and so so does a Christmas Carol. So I don't think we have to justify it. It's our show. It's our rules. Okay, so touche. But what I want to do is obviously, it's going to be really hard for us to watch every version of adapted a Christmas Carol. On film or television, no way, never going to happen. And yeah. That's not even counting the radio plays, oh right? My gosh. And and well, and there's at least two silent film versions of it. Wow. So I'd like to look on YouTube and see if any of those are available to watch, and just because I mean, they're short films, right? But um, we need to cover several adaptations, and then we can also just kind of roundtable 
some of our favorite versions that we've watched before and the virtues thereof. And maybe this is something I wanted to do was to have us each come with our top five adaptations of Christmas Carol. If you can't get top five, top three. Okay. Top, top three to five. We, we will consider. I think I can come up with five. Um, but so what I wanted to do was each of us gets to unilaterally pick one version that we absolutely have to watch. And then maybe we all agree on a fourth. And then Muppets Christmas Carol. Nice. Yeah, man, right here. Bring it. Up top. Yeah. Um, that's your choice, Muppet Christmas Carol? Yep. Okay. I have that one. So, uh, Colin, what are you going to choose? I'll take the 1995 TNT production with Patrick Stewart. Nice. I kind of figured you were going to do that. Um, I think it's the best one that's ever been made. Yeah. See, I think I, I would disagree with you on that, but I haven't watched it in a while, so I'll, mm. I'll need to watch that one and weigh it against the George C. Scott version, which I would pick, but I feel like it's similar enough that I want to go different. Um, okay. And I think I want to go older, the black and white version. Which one? And, yeah, I can't remember. The Alistair... 1950 Alistair, Alistair Sims? Yeah. I have that. Okay, excellent. So hmm. I think we should definitely do that because we like to kind of cover classic movies and remakes, and it's really hard to choose which one is the classic mm-hmm. in this in this too bad, I really like the George C. Scott one. <laughs> well, we well, can it... absolutely do it. And, <laughs> yeah. and oh, we're, we're going to talk okay. about all the, all the different virtues of them. My mom I really has, like the uh, Jim Carrey one, too, though. That one was good, and so we, we can talk about that one as well. Yeah. And Scrooged, the Bill Murray adaptation. Yeah, I was going to say awesome. that we, we, we need to agree <laughs> that we're going to watch Scrooged as well. Scrooged is on the list, yeah. which means we're going to be watching a lot of movies together, which yeah. is a nice way to spend the holiday. Well, yeah. we will Lots try. Holiday parties. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we're we're going to have Payment Pounder's Christmas Party. We're going to have a 12-hour movie yes. marathon. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah. Well, we, we can... We can uh, yeah, dang it. I don't have much vacation time left. So. <laughs> <laughs> we'll do it on a Saturday. <laughs> yeah. Okay, there we go. Um, but yeah, so we'll watch at least those four. And then maybe work in the uh, the George she's got one. My mom's always up for that, so I'm go. sure she'll invite Sweet. you over to watch it. And then, yeah, like I said, we'll talk about other versions that we like and maybe other Christmas movies as well, just by way of public service. So we do invite you, if you're listening into this, to send us any feedback. If you want to let us know what you think of A Boy and His Dog or... Or thank us for <laughs> warning you about it. Or school us <laughs> as to what we're missing. Yeah, you know, absolutely. Maybe we, maybe as a bunch of you know middle-aged white guys, we don't get it. Yeah, so, speak you know, for tell yourself. Us what we don't get. <laughs> <laughs> Shut up, youngin. Was that middle-aged or white guy? <laughs> Touche. <laughs> yeah. If you want to get a hold of us about that, or if you want to let us know particularly about a Christmas Carol, if you've read it, if you enjoyed the story, what is your favorite adaptation? Um, maybe we consider slotting in something that somebody else writes in. Maybe a country Christmas Carol. The Incomparable what? covered that one a while back. And <laughs> I mean, it, it sounds so horrible. I, I don't think I could subject that. That sounds like something I want to pretend does not exist. Yeah. <laughs> Let's wrap it up. Okay. Well, uh, that is a wrap for today. So for Colin and James, I'm Seth. We are the Pavement Pounders, and we thank you for listening to Take Me to Your Reader. And we invite you to listen again next time when we discuss adapted science fiction at its best and worst. Until then, we leave you with the Pavement Bounder's blessing. May the road rise up to meet you, and may the book always fall open to where you left off. Thanks. Bye. Uh, Seth can't figure out what he wanted to say, so... Little House on the Prairie? You guys got to stop, too. Don't give me a hard time. It did kind of seem like Jason Rhubarb was... Yeah. uh, Jason Rhubarb. (laughs) Rhubarb. You know you're starting to sound like a damn poodle. They had a Quilladisa. man's got to eat. And Quilladune is the cheese. And You're starting to sound like a jackass. Pull up your pants, Romeo. That's what you always say.